Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. I think we could all agree that no one in the right mind would want to go to hell. But did you know that there is actually a place worse than hell? On today's edition of the Convention Pulpit, Albert Barr talks about it. This sermon was preached back in 2002 at the God's Bible School and College Camp Meeting in Cincinnati, Ohio, and it's titled, A Place That's Worse Than Hell. You're going to enjoy this riveting sermon. Take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Isn't it wonderful to be a Christian? Would you stand with me in honor of God's word and to rest yourselves for the service? Proverbs chapter 16. Just one verse tonight, and it's a verse that many of you have committed to memory. A very important proverb. Proverbs 16, 25. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Your Majesty, we come before you tonight petitioning your help. We are helpless without you. And I have an awesome responsibility tonight that I am not sufficient for. And so I ask that in grace and mercy and love that you would give mercy to these people and mercy to this preacher and that you would do the preaching tonight. For Jesus' sake I pray. Amen. You may be seated. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Basically, what we have here is the Bible's one-sentence definition of humanism. A way that seemeth right unto a man, but ends ultimately in death. In fact, what I want to talk to you tonight about is a place worse than than hell. Now I do not like to speak or even to think about hell. Hell is of course a very frightening subject and it ought to be. And fear can be a strong motivator to move one towards God. You remember that Noah was moved to f- by fear to build an ark and save his family but keep in mind that it was not simply fear alone. Remember Hebrews eleven seven. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. In other words, we're not simply talking about a paralyzing, terrifying fear, but a fear that leads to faith. 
Keep in mind that fear can only be good if it actually leads us to faith. In fact, anything can only be good if it leads us to faith. Now, since I made that statement, I do not like to preach about hell. I need to take a moment here. Do understand, this sermon is not about hell. This sermon is about a place worse than hell. Remember that Jesus came to save people. And there are basically three things that make us people. You see, it's not the shape of our body which makes us people. Apes have the shapes of our body. (laughs) I'm sure we've all heard of Helen Keller, who, of course, could not speak, could not see, could not hear, acted like a little wild animal. But when, of course... A technique by touch was made by which they could communicate with her. They discovered that inside that wild little shell was a a very intelligent and vivacious human being. And by the way, could I just mention something? It's a little bit aside, but I do remember that in the history of Helen Keller, when they reached a point in communicating with her in her training and her education that it was decided it was time to begin to talk to her about spiritual things, And they anticipated a very difficult time with their limited technique to be able to communicate such an awesome and metaphysical subject as as God to her. But shortly after the process was begun, her little face lit up and she said, Oh, him. I have always known about him, but I did not know his name. Truly, it is so that uh, there is a God-shaped vacuum in every man, and only God can fill it. And, of course, we've all seen the tragedy of people who try to satisfy those spiritual longings with other things. Can't be done. What I'm coming to is you and I are human because we have, we we are people, we are persons because, and I'm not getting into any dichotomy, trichotomy debate here. I'm simply saying we are humans because we have mind and because we have will and because we have emotions. And God's communicating with us and even the salvation that he offers, he reaches in and utilizes all of those parts of us. And so I'm just not comfortable when I feel that either myself or someone else is simply playing on fears or being manipulative and that makes it difficult for me to to preach a sermon on hell although at times it is the responsibility of any minister of God to do so you know we're getting awfully careless about how we define human anymore do you know that I'm sure you know who Watson and Crick were the the two men who together won the Nobel Prize for first uh, deciphering the the genetic code, the, the structure of the genetic code, the double helix. Crick is a militant evolutionist and a militant anti-Christian, a militant humanist. Listen to a quote from him. He said, no child should be considered human until he has passed a genetic test. Now, at the time he made that statement, he was talking about mercy killing. He was talking about when a child is born, we should check to see that it has five toes on each foot and five fingers on each hand and all the other things that we have, by that I mean the scientists, have decided make us human. And if he doesn't muster up, 
then he shouldn't be counted human and he doesn't have a right to live and so you set him aside and nothing by mouth and he dies. Of course, nowadays, now that we've reached the point that we can make those genetic tests while the baby is still in the womb, now we're talking about state-mandated abortion because we have lost the concept of the value of human life. It is tragic beyond words. So, and, and you understand here, we're not even, what Crick is talking about, what many are talking about, we're not even talking about a child with an obvious defect. We're talking about a child that may look perfectly normal, and yet the, the God players among us who have decided that they now have the right to decide who lives and dies may decide from a genetic test that, you know, they really aren't viable, they really aren't human, and so... We just simply let them die. I remember the time when my daughter Cindy suddenly in the middle of the night had a serious attack of gallbladder problems, was rushed to the hospital, and during the night had emergency surgery. It was only a couple days later that the doctors and that she herself discovered that she was expecting. When she went back in for a follow-up office visit, the doctor who had performed the surgery handed her a number of prescriptions. Only after she was out of the office did she look at them. One was a prescription, if that's the right word for it, and a, an appointment at an abortion clinic to have the little baby aborted. Just as casually as you would have snuffed out a June bug, never even asked her about her own interests or desires, they would have snuffed out the life of my beautiful little granddaughter, Ashley, so lovely intelligent we're in a tragic shape in this world and let it always be said of the Christian and of the minister that we love people like Jesus loves people it is tragic what is happening I have here a note that even Hitler and the Nazis with their master race never went that far talk about Holocaust people We've sown to the wind and we're reaping a whirlwind. For a hundred years, we have told a generation after generation that they are nothing more than animals. And now we're a little surprised when they start acting like it. When Charlie Brown says, oh, I love humanity, it's people I can't stand, he is speaking as an, yes, one of those. He is speaking as a humanist. So, We've lost our moorings, and I just, I just don't like to feel like I'm manipulating people. And so I'm not comfortable talking about hell. And yet, I want to talk about a place worse than hell. And that says something about how we, what we think of people. Do you understand that your view of God determines how, what you think of people? And what you think of people, your view of man, determines how you treat them. And I'll just be frank with you. Sometimes I see preachers preach. Sometimes the difficult subjects in a manner that makes me wonder if, if we really are all that different than, than the humanist. Do we really love people? Do we really care about people like Jesus cared about people? When we preach death route religion, sometimes I feel like we've done it in a manner that all we care about is seeing that people die. Do you understand that when the Lord talks about us dying to ourselves, it is always so that we can be resurrected. Yeah. 
He breaks us so that he can bind us up. He breaks us to correct. He never leaves us broken. And so we live in a tragic world where it's all become a matter of just, you know, you probably don't know anyone who is more of an environmentalist than I am unless they're a sure, full, full fledged, sure enough full-fledged tree hugger. But I, I just believe that it's part of the mandate that God gave man in the garden that we're supposed to take care of the world we live in. But I also think it's a horrible tragedy when we decide that we can get all bent out of shape, we can get all excited, we can spend billions of dollars to save a goby fish, and then we can put to death a thousand babies a day. We've lost something because we've lost our concept of what it is to be created in the image of God. And that's what humanism does. And we see it with all these, the tragedy of modern abortion on demand and of this mercy killing and even euthanasia. You know, I, I think sometimes when I'm talking about that, I had, I had a dog named Taffy. Taffy was an old dog. I mean, we'd had her all of my life that I could remember. She was very old and Taffy got the problems of old age. I mean, she'd go out in the woods and lie down and couldn't get back up and you'd have to go find her and listen for the whines and get her up and kind of massage her legs and get them straightened back out and, and try to get her moving again. And finally it became obvious that we would be doing a mercy to have Taffy put to sleep. I couldn't do it myself, but we had it done. I cried a little bit. I missed Taffy, but I didn't lose any sleep about it and I've not been to the altar to repent because after all, she was a dog. But do you understand that the average person that you meet out there, the modern, educated, humanistically slanted person, does not consider there to be a great deal of difference between a dog and a human anymore? And so if grandma begins to get a little bit aches and pains, you know, we'll cry a little bit and miss her, but it might be the nice thing to do to just put her to sleep. I'm not playing this up, people. B.F. Skinner is a behavioral psychologist with great influence in many parts of the country today. He wrote a book called Beyond Freedom and Dignity. And he said, as man, to man as man, we readily say goodbye. Because what we've done is raise a generation that doesn't believe that we are fundamentally different from the apes or any other animals. And so we can treat people that way. In fact, he says, he and his ilk, the modern humanist, he says, we can stop war. We can stop crime. We can stop that most horrible thing of all, over, overpopulation. All you've got to do is give us your children. And with drugs and implants and all kinds of manipulations, we can, we can raise a generation that the first time they feel angry, they'll just lie down and go to sleep. get my children over my dead body do you understand what we're talking about there people you know I'm wondering where I want to go with this because I'm not comfortable talking about the subject that I've said do you understand that God never ever ever makes us do he honors our free will it is the humanist the tragedy with modern humanism is that it's so inhumane They're the ones who do not mind manipulating us like animals. 
Their solutions are a million miles from God's. People, I'd rather have crime. I'd rather have war. Francis Schaeffer was correct when he said, if God is dead, man is dead. Because it is God that gives man the distinction of being different than the animals. You remember there was a rich young ruler came to Jesus one time. Good master, what must I do to be part of the kingdom? Jesus looked down in his heart, saw his particular problem, told him something he did not tell everyone. He said, I want you to go sell what you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me, be my disciple. And the Bible says that that young man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions and he was not willing to pay that price. But Mark specifically states Jesus loved him. That means Jesus wanted him. Jesus longed for him. Now you know who Jesus is? Jesus is God come in the flesh, sir. Jesus speaks and angels do his bidding. Jesus speaks and worlds are born. Jesus speaks and stars burst forth. Jesus speaks and loaves and fishes are multiplied. Jesus speaks and the dead rise. He can have anything he wants. And yet he let that young man walk away. Because it is better in God's economy for that young man to go to hell, a man, than to go to heaven, a robot. God is not into making robots and automatons and zombies. It is the modern humanist that manipulates. And I guess what I'm saying all this for is I'm dealing with a subject that I think is terribly important. And if you're going to be faithful to the scriptures, you must deal with. And yet I am urging you preacher boys, when you do, it ought to be with compassion and love and never a sense of I can tell enough scary stories to line the altar. So, I better move on. Fear is an emotion. Where faith is fundamentally an activity of the mind. It is believing. It is acknowledging the facts. And if the will acts solely on the emotions, then the choice will soon be contested by the mind. And it is very difficult for the heart to rejoice in what the mind cannot accept. And there's a, that's part of the problem of simply dealing with in a fashion to get people to seek God solely on emotion, even the emotion of fear. It is the appeal of God that you come to him as an act of your will, and that is a choice, and that is an act of faith, that it be the act of a man and not that of a terrified beast. Isaiah would say, the Lord would say through Isaiah, come and let us reason together, saith the Lord. The good news of the gospel is that we live from faith to faith, not from emotion to emotion. That the just live by faith, not by emotion. And it also is true, of course, that we always are under the control of God. So, I'm simply saying I don't want to deal with this subject in a fashion that simply, because it is a frightening subject, I do not want to play games with it. Fear is a powerful tool, but it's a blunt one, and it's one that I'm simply not comfortable with. We've already got far too many of our people that are suffering from blunt force syndrome. Am I appealing for dried-eyed and stoic seekers? Would I be content with older services that could pass as recruitment centers? No, a thousand times no. What I do long to see is the preaching of the gospel. 
that Jesus came to save sinners. The presentation of a God who is not to be trifled with. Oh, no, no. Never play games with him. He is not a tame lion, you know. But one who is also abundant in mercy. The God of the Bible. I want people to come with heart broken with the knowledge that their sins nailed Jesus to the cross. Weeping over the fact that they are estranged from God. And so I deal with serious subjects. But I want it to be to your mind. So I want to talk to you about a place worse than hell. Now if you're a thinking person you have to have already asked yourself the question. Can there be such a place brother Barr? Can there actually be a place worse than hell? I mean by definition does not hell have to be the worst place in the universe? If you could think of a worse place would that not be hell? Well let's see. Of course, if I'm going to speak about hell, I have to speak about destinies. And only God can speak with any authorities about destinies in his word. You understand that. Origins or destinies can only be addressed by God. It can't be addressed by science. The key to science are observation and experimentation. But nobody was there to observe in the beginning. And nobody has yet seen the end. Man cannot actually experiment rigorously with first conditions they must be reproducible and measurable. Now, I want you to understand, the Bible's not a science book, but where it touches on science, it is God's word, it must be true. So what does the Bible teach us about the Bible hell? Now, I said we're not talking about the Bible hell, but if I'm going to make my point that I'm talking about a place worse than hell, I need to take a few moments to point out what the Bible talks about in the Bible hell. The Bible teaches that there are two and only two destinies possible to man. They are revealed in scripture as heaven and hell. Or really, since they are mutually exclusive, that is, you must go to one, you cannot go to both. It becomes heaven or hell. So what does it say? What tells us of a place called heaven, a place of eternal bliss? It's a place of life and light and reunion and restoration and happiness and health and all in unmeasurable abundance. And of course, greatest of all is we will spend eternity with our God. But the Bible always talks about another place called hell, another possible destiny, a place of eternal death, the place where we are always dying. As is the case of heaven, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about the details of hell. It leaves no doubt that there is certainly such a place. In fact, Jesus had more to say about hell than he did about heaven. He told of a man who died, and in Luke 16, 23, in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torment. He warned the unrepentant that they were in danger of going there. Matthew 23, 33, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? In the Sermon on the Mount, he warned that trading others with contempt was to place yourself in danger of hellfire. Jesus told us enough about hell for us to know that we certainly don't want to go there. Amen. Jesus said that it would be better to have your hand cut off or your foot cut off or your eye plucked out than to go to hell. Amen. He said that we should fear hell far more than death. And then he gives us some basic conditions of hell, the, the environment of hell. And if you are going to understand what I want to close with when I talk about a place worse than hell, you need to get these. 
These are what the Bible says are the conditions that exist in hell. Okay? Number one, the Bible says that hell is a place, Jesus said that hell is a place of unquenchable fire. Mark 9.43 speaks of hell. Those would be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Matthew 18.8, everlasting fire. Matthew 25.41, everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Mark 9.43, fire that never shall be quenched. Luke 3.17, fire unquenchable. Jude 1.7, eternal fire. Hell is a place of unquenchable fire. Secondly, the Bible teaches that hell is a place of impenetrable darkness. Matthew 25, 30, and cast ye that unprofitable servant into outer darkness. Thirdly, the Bible teaches that hell is a place of total chaos, of insanity, which is a form of chaos. That's what the Bible means in Matthew 25, 30. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Total, utter chaos. The dissolution of all that is organized, reasonable, hopeful, sensible. Fourthly, the Bible teaches that hell is a place of unrelenting despair. Revelation 14.10 speaks of those who shall drink of the wine of the wrath and indignation of God tormented with fire and brimstone and the smoke of their torment ascendeth forever and ever and they have no rest day or night. People, I don't like talking about that, but that's what the scriptures say. Luke 16.26, and beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot Neither can they pass to us that would come from there. Calvin Miller, in his epic poem, The Singer, says that despair is not listed in the lexicon of heaven. It is the only word listed in the lexicon of hell. And fifthly, the Bible teaches that hell is a place of eternal separation from God. So here we have it. What is the environment of hell? Unquenchable fire, impenetrable darkness, total chaos, unrelenting despair, eternal separation from God. That is the hell of the Bible. And of course, for teaching of such a place, the Bible is dismissed as myth. For preaching of hell, the preacher is said to be superstitious or manipulative. For teaching this, the teacher is said to be insensitive and uncaring. For believing this, the Christian is said to be out of date and ignorant. Now, I told you early on that the Bible teaches that there are two and only two destinies to man, heaven or hell. But there is a third. There it is. Time Magazine. How the universe will end. See, they told us about 40 years ago how it began with the Big Bang. Now they've told us how it will end. Peering deep into space and time, scientists have just solved the biggest mystery in the cosmos. How the universe will end. And it doesn't jive with what God said. So who are you going to believe? 
The Bible says it talks about a destiny for those who reject God called hell. A place of unquenchable fire, impenetrable darkness, unyielding despair, a place of total chaos, and a place of eternal separation from God. But Time Magazine says that's not so. The end. Time Magazine and Modern Humanism said, oh, no, 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 that, we don't believe that anymore. We're educated people. We're 20th century man. I mean, those bugaboos of hell, that was back when mint populated the heavens with gods and goddesses, you know, and we didn't understand things. And, and so we had to, but not, we know better than that anymore. That's tomfoolery. That's all you people can't believe. Surely you don't believe that old book. Well, that means we've got a third possibility. And I've called it the humanist hell. Another alternative. Maybe many of you have read it. It's, of course, considered a classic of all time. Stephen Hawking. A Brief History of Time. If you do not know, here is a man, probably many would say, the greatest mind as far as sheer intellect of our age. A man who just by sheer thought gave us many of the modern cosmological concepts of black holes and quasars and, and many things, some of which seem to be valid by what measure we can make with the modern astronomy and physics. And yet a man who is locked inside of a body that is Degenerating and for many, many years has not been able to communicate except to a few very highly trained people and now with the aid of a computer. And so I would not want to in any way disparage a, a man that has made a contribution to science in spite of a, his uh, physical handicap. But I must tell you very candidly, I was reading A Brief History of Time. I never, actually, I never quite finished. I, I couldn't. I wept. I cried. With the emptiness of it all. Sheer emptiness. In that book, he tells us what basically they're telling us here. It's just, when he wrote his book, there were two possible endings to the universe. It depended on whether it was an open universe or a closed universe. It had to do with how much dark matter there was, whether the universe after... You know, they told us how it got here, you understand. 20 billion years ago or thereabouts. I, that's the last I read it. It doubles about every five years, but it was 20 billion last time I read about 20 billion years ago, a singularity, that's an infinitely small spot of nothing, exploded in a big bang. I don't mean just matter. I mean matter, energy, time, space, everything came from that. I have to believe in the big bang. I believe God spoke and bang, it was done. And I mean, I'm not really trying to make a joke there. I think that much of the background radiation and such things that are used to, to support the idea of the Big Bang are left over from the creation. But it was God's creation. But they want us to, you know, they find it easier to believe that than they would to believe God. But he illustrates, that is Hawkins illustrates time by a, a drawing of a globe. Looks like a, a globe with lines of longitude and latitude on it. He said, now up here at what we would call the North Pole, that's the Big Bang. Space has been expanding ever since. Time, space, everything rushing out. 
what we call the Doppler effect and redshift and such like, all flows from that. We really don't know the ultimate age of the universe, he said, but we do know that we're expanding out, and if there is enough dark matter in the universe, this article says there isn't, if there's enough, enough dark matter in the universe, the expansion of the, of the universe will slow down, Finally, somewhere it'll stop and begin to fall back in upon itself and there'll be, you know, the other pole, whatever they're going to call that, the big squish or something. <laughs> and he said, the halfway point is the equator. But said, we know, we really don't know the, a, the potential age of the universe, but we know we haven't reached the equator yet because we know that be, long before we reach the equator, because of the second law of thermodynamics, the law of entropy, it says that everything is running down, everything's wearing out, everything's tending towards randomness. That's another word for chaos. All usable energy is slowly deteriorating into irredeemable heat energy. And we know that even before we reach the halfway point in the age of the universe, there will not be enough energy to even carry on evolution anymore. Long before that, man will have, been, will have petered out to be replaced by some more efficient animal able to uh, utilize the dwindling energy resources of the universe. But there'll come a day when evolution can't produce any new creatures capable. And so finally, for over half of its age, the universe must be a dying, lifeless, empty void. One by one, the stars blink out and it's all over. Now, you go out and build a life on that. You kids out there, getting a, you're seeing the world from God's point of view. Pity. Pity those who are being given this kind of garbage. Pity them. Trying to find a life that's no wonder college-age young people blow their brains out at a rate 300% higher than the national average. We've given them a rope of sand and told them to go out and build a life on it. They assure us this is what we found here. They've decided now, the latest finding, there's not enough dark matter. So this means rather than falling back in, the universe will just simply expand forever. But either way, entropy will kick in or it can be reversed. And so little by little, the stars will die out. C.S. Lewis, but you've read, you know, the screw tape letters and mere Christianity and the problem of pain and the abolition of man and such like. But he also, and, and of course, surely you're educated enough to have read the Chronicles of Narnia. If you aren't, if you haven't, you aren't educated. Uh, but Lewis also wrote a science fiction trilogy called Out of the Silent Planet, Paralandra, and That Hideous Strength. And in Out of the Silent Planet, he explores this whole idea. And he has a... a doctor that represents Satan before it's all over. And his grandiose scheme is to somehow spread the seed of mankind throughout the cosmos so that as the stars blink out or go supernova or whatever they decide is going to happen to us, that, uh, you know, mankind can exist on it. And that's really the dream of man. We'll just travel to the farthest stars and when our star goes supernova, we'll have, we'll have colonized other planets. People, do you understand? You cannot escape this. Mankind cannot, if this is true, we must ultimately cease to exist. I don't mean just you and you and you. I mean mankind. That's empty. 
And we can play all the games. You see, we can't accept that. We just can't live with that. So the man who believes that, he plays these little games, these mind games. We know that our lives don't really have any meaning, don't have any value, don't have any significance. We're just a blob of slime that evolved rationality. We, we've got no more meaning than a swarm of mosquitoes or a herd of pigs, but we can't live like that. And so we pretend that we have meaning. But ultimately, we don't. Ultimately, we're just a mediocre animal living out on the edge of an average planet circling a sort of a common star lost out on the corner of one of many billions of galaxies. No purpose, no meaning, no rhyme, no reason. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you shall die. And we wonder why the world lives the way it lives. So they tell us, you people, <laughs> you, you religious Bible-thumping, uh, you know, Christians, you, you're ignorant. You're just ignorant. We know better. You believe in all this crazy stuff about heaven and hell. Hell, a place like place of unquenchable fire and, and, and impenetrable darkness and total chaos and, and unrelenting despair and total separation from God. We know better. We can tell you now how the world's going to end. And you read the article, and let me tell you how they said the world's going to end. Unquenchable fire, impenetrable darkness, total chaos, unyielding despair, and total separation from God. Unquenchable fire. They tell us in here that one by one the stars will utilize their first source of energy and then they'll go supernova and they'll switch to another form of energy production. But one by one they'll exhaust all their resources and they'll, depending upon their mass, they'll either collapse into themselves to become black holes or they might be, there's a number of, of supposed scenarios that they might do. But one by one they will all blink out. In fact, I remember one time, let's see if I can find them here in my notes real quickly. Yes. I was teaching, and I checked out a film from the public school library for schools to show to schools, to show to my high school young people. Actually, the film claimed that it was for the eighth, and ninth, for the eighth grade level, but I was going to show it to high school. But we were required to review them first and before we showed them, so I reviewed them, and I decided not to show it to my young people. And the reason why, in fact, it was awesome. The graphics were stunning. You felt like you had really gotten into a spaceship and toured out through all the planets of the solar system and then out to look back upon our galaxy at various stars and phenomenons and, and various uh, gas clouds. It was, it was stunning if you're into that kind of stuff, and I like that kind of thing. But the whole time, all this awesome graphics and going on a suave male voice was saying things like this. To eighth graders, supposedly, the universe is inevitably doomed to death. An individual life is but a spark in the infinite darkness. All the stars will burn out. All matter will collapse into dead stars and black holes. No light, no life, only the corpses of dead stars and galaxies ever expanding into the endless darkness and the cold recesses of space, a universe in ruins. And then like they suddenly realize what they're saying to these children. They say, but don't worry, 
It's a long, long time away. People, that doesn't make any difference if you're intelligent. Go out and build your life on that kind of emptiness. But they will tell you that finally all of the energy in the universe will be, have been reduced to what's called irredeemable heat energy. Energy without light, fire, but darkness at the same time. So, you who believe the Bible, and you believe the Bible's teaching about a hell where, where there's, you know, ir- unquenchable fire and, and impenetrable darkness. We don't believe that stuff. We're modern man. We know now how it's going to end. It's going to end in unquenchable fire and impenetrable darkness. And total chaos. That is, in fact, what entropy is all about. It is, it is part of the fall. It is part of what happened when man sinned. It is why the most athletic body will someday return to the dust. It is why the most complex, precise machine will someday grind to a halt, while the most elaborate building will someday crumble to the ground. Everything is wearing down. Everything is running down. Everything is tending towards randomness, chaos. It's the idea, and, and it flies in the first and second law of thermodynamics fly in the teeth of everything they teach us about evolution. It's the idea that if I took a bottle, a, a jar, and I filled half of it up with blue sand, and then I carefully filled the rest of it up with green sand, so that there was a sharp line of demarcation, and I now take a stick and stick it in there and start stirring, how long will I have to stir before all the greens on the bottom and all the blues on the top? It'll never happen. Everything tending towards randomness. And yet evolution says, from the small to the great, from the simple to the complex, flies in the teeth of the most fundamental laws of the universe, but we believe it because it sure beats believing in God. Because you see, if God is dead, all is permitted. I one time was riding along, listening to a talk. I don't like modern, I don't like talk shows. They make me, they make me righteously indignant. I do. I get bent all out of shape. I want to go out and bite somebody on the leg and tell them I'm playing dog or something. I mean, I just get <laughs> some of the tomfoolery. But sometimes I listen because it's all that's fit to listen to, at least to keep me awake. And I was driving along and listening, and on this particular program, they had a militant atheist as a guest. I actually missed most of his spiel. By the time I tuned in, they were about to turn it over to callers. Caught just enough to know what he was. And then the callers begin to call in, and most of the callers agreed with him. There wasn't any God, probably because of the clientele of that particular radio station. Oh, once in a while, somebody would call in and say, hey, I have to believe there's a big man up there somewhere kind of looking out for us, man. To which the atheist would say, hey, that's okay, buddy. That's fine, you know. Some people need God, some people don't. If, help, if you believe in God helps you, that's fine. You need him, I don't. Everything's okay. That's insane. People, there either is a God or there isn't a God. What I think doesn't make one lick of difference. If there isn't any God tonight, we can come to church, get happy, clap our hands, shed our tears, and there still isn't any God. But if there is a God, and there is, then all the atheists in hell can't make him go away. But for an intelligent man to stand up and claim that, that he has a right to take your ear and then say something so asinine and absurd as 
hey, if believing in God helps you, that's all right. If it doesn't, that's okay. Finally, someone called in who seemed to have a little more insight than others. And, and he, said, uh, he said, hey, I have to believe there's a God somewhere because otherwise there'll never be any judgment. Now, I'm quite sure he didn't mean what you and I mean by judgment. But he did say if there's not, the great, the great monsters of history, the Hitlers, the Kingus Kongs, the criminals, Jack the Ripper and all the rest, there'll never be any day when they'll have to pay up. And it was radio, but you could hear the guy's ears turning red. As this guy, this atheist, the anger in his voice is he said, let me tell you something, buddy. Don't try putting guilt on us. There isn't any right. There isn't any wrong. There isn't any God. There isn't any devil. There isn't any heaven. There isn't any hell. Now, do you see what he was saying? He was saying if we can get rid of God, we can get rid of hell. He is dead wrong. If you get rid of God, you do not get rid of hell. If you get rid of God, you get rid of heaven. And you turn the universe into one vast, inescapable hell. With nothing but chemicals. No meaning, no purpose, no values, no significance, no love, no mercy, no prayers, no music, no genius, no nothing. And it is a universe we cannot escape from. You can accept this hell if you want to and call yourself with it. Modern, educated man, ridded yourself of the old bugaboos and the taboos of that book. And you will find yourself living a life that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Tragic beyond words. And yet God has left that choice with us. So certainly I would want to preach in a manner that if you're here and you're not right with God, I want you to escape the biblical hell. That place of unquenchable fire and impenetrable darkness and total chaos, unrelenting despair, and separation from God. But do you understand long before you cross the line of worlds, your decision will determine in this life about a life that could be a life of hell too. To live in a universe where there's no hope. And people, you can't be any more separated from God than if he doesn't exist. Place of unrelenting despair. We can play all the games we want to. But our lives have no meaning, no purpose, no value. It is tragic beyond words. And I can tell you right now, long before you cross the line of worlds, your choice will already determine whether you... You know, the Bible teaches that our God gives us a little bit of heaven to go to heaven in. Do you know that? What's called the earnest 
of the inheritance until the purchase, the, 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 that we actually claim the purchased possession. Well, it's my conviction that the devil, the God of this world, gives his followers a little bit of hell to go to heaven in. I mean, to go to hell in. I've watched people, and I've watched the devil turn their lives into an empty hell. Well, Brother Barr, you were talking about a place worse than hell, and yet it seems to me like you're just saying, really, there's no big difference except the time frame between the hell of the Bible and the hell of the humanist. The Bible talks about a hell of, of unquenchable fire, impenetrable darkness, total chaos, unrelenting despair, separation from God. You're saying that when you finally analyze what they say is the fate of the universe, you, want, you discover unquenchable fire, impenetrable darkness, total chaos, unrelenting despair, and total separation from God. So it's really not worse, it's just the same. No, it's worse. Because there is one good thing that can be said about the Bible hell. And that is, you don't have to go there. You don't have to go there. And if the humanist is correct, then you cannot escape the hell that he's talking about. But our God tells us of a place horrible beyond imagining. But we do not have to go there. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, in closing, modern cosmology, part of this very article talks about the universe is winding down and no one has the key. They're wrong. Revelation 1.18, Jesus speaking. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys to hell and of death. Yes, there is a hell, but let me tell you, and there's a hell in this cosmos. If you don't have God, there's empty God. But our God has the key. He has the key. And he is willing to give you a life that ultimately, yes, you go to heaven in the end, but you'll discover that long before you actually leave this world, you're reaping the benefits of having chosen to walk with God, a life that's full and rich and wonderful. It, it is not just a saying with me. It is wonderful to be a Christian. And it is tragic beyond words to choose the way that seems right to a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. And God has given us the right to choose. He's called us to pray. Pascal said it was in order to give man the dignity of causality that he gave us the right to pray. It is God and the Christian and the book and Christianity that gives man real meaning, not the humanist. It is God who sets us free, for he has the key. And he's left the choice with you. Would you stand with me? It just seems to me that intelligent people ought to be able to make wise choices with the help of the Spirit. And so I am never comfortable resorting to manipulation and psychobabble and scary stories just for the sake of scary stories. And tonight I've done my best to keep it above that. 
But with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I don't think we'll even have any singing, and we're not going to tarry but a couple minutes at the most. Is there anyone here? Possibly God has created alarm in your heart because you know that if you were to leave this world right now, your destiny would, in fact, be hell. God wouldn't send anybody to hell, Brother Barn. No, you're absolutely right. God won't send anyone to hell. But if you insist upon going, he won't keep you out. Created for the devil and his angels, but if you follow the devil, there's nowhere else for you. So it may be that the, the Holy Spirit has used the very reminder that there is a hell out there and it is a horrible place and it is eternal to make you anxious about your soul. Thank God. And we would invite you to come and we'll help you pray. Or it may be that someone is not really feeling that, that anxiety that flows from realization of the ever-burning hell, but you have also come to realize that a life without Christ, a life that leaves God out, is a greater, more tragic hell than even the hell of the Bible. And you would simply like to do the wise thing, the right thing. And you would like to come and pray so that not only your eternal destiny would be heaven, but that you could know the thrill and the wonder of avoiding the empty life this side of the grave. Anyone who needs to pray. Anywhere. Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is a way of escape. We, we marvel at your grace and love. Surely we would never, ever, ever in our wildest imaginings have conjured up the dream that when man had walked away from you, when you created a paradise and a paradise and gave them all that you did, only one prohibition so they would have free choice, and they chose to listen to the serpent. We would never have imagined that you would have redeemed them, and especially at such a cost as your own son. My own sins, O oh God, that Jesus hung on the cross for my sins. I revel in that. I am amazed, but I am deeply, deeply thankful. And I pray, O oh God, that you would help us this week during this encampment you not only would move upon the hearts who yet have spiritual needs, but that you would challenge us all to go out to spread the good news to a dying, perishing world that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Do it that Jesus might be honored, and we will praise you. Amen. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. Has been passed. I don't wanna lose the fight. I don't wanna lose the fight.